I'm Brett Samuels. On the Open Mic Marketing Podcast, I get to meet interesting and inspirational guests. So, in this bonus series, I'll be looking at their backstories that may interest and enthuse, motivate or inspire you. Sometimes in life, where we start is more important than where we end. Our life's journey greatly shapes and influences our decisions and aspirations. Aspirations to maybe build a new business or just a better life or to work tirelessly in support of our fellow human beings. And of course, all of these desires do not need to be mutually exclusive. Today, I'm speaking to Susan Heaton-Wright. If you've listened to episode two of the podcast, you'll know that Susan gave us her top tips for communicating on digital platforms. Susan's had a fascinating career as both an opera singer and a global corporate trainer and speaking coach. Enjoy. So you studied geography at Durham University, and that's obviously very different from where you've ended up. So what were your career aspirations at that time? From about the age of five, I wanted to be an explorer and specifically go to Africa. At the time in the 1980s, for particularly for a woman traveling, one very safe way of doing that was to teach in different countries. And that was my plan. So I taught in India. I taught in Ladakh, which is in the Himalayas, close to Tibet. And then I moved to Kenya. So I was very close to the Rift Valley where I was based. And that was my plan. I think that there are aspects of learning that are absolutely fantastic. And I do that now. But it isn't as formal as teaching in a school. So it was really the the kind of travel and exploration side that that was really appealing to you. Definitely. And so you you finished your your degree. But... As a side as well, there was opera singing. So tell me a bit about that and how that all came about. Well, I didn't sing opera when I was at university. I didn't study music at university. But it was one of those serendipity moments. I was very badly injured in a car accident with life-changing injuries. I had a head injury, a spinal injury, but you know that I can walk. I'm very, very lucky. But there were changes in my life. But it took a long time for me to recover from that. But one of those serendipity moments that happens in our lives, if we have our eyes open and our ears open. I was invited by a friend to go to one of these big London choirs that they had at the end of the 80s. And one of the things that you needed to do was audition. Now, I had always sung from a little girl. My family had very much said, you mustn't show off, you mustn't be centre stage. So the message I had was always to be in the background. So I went along, discovered there was an audition, thought, goodness, what am I going to sing? So sang something and the conductor, who's now a world famous conductor, said to me, Susan, you need to get your voice trained. It's a remarkable voice. Now, at the time, I wasn't in the place to be able to say, well, could you help me? And to build a business relationship that way. However, I did get singing lessons and eventually got a scholarship to study in UK at a conservatoire and over in Italy. Amazing. So so you always had a passion for, for singing? For music, music in general. So I played the violin. I, 
Age 10, I appeared in Pebble Mill. <laughs> you know, you remember Pebble Mill? In one of the studios there, my school went and I played my violin and sang. Music was always part of my life, but it was very much secondary. And I do remember my dad saying to me, you know, musicians, they're very odd people. <laughs> and that was another message that I shouldn't go down that route. So I think that's really interesting around your your kind of position with your parents because I would imagine uh, that being an opera singer puts you front and centre and really out there so how did you get from being encouraged to stay in the background to being out in the front? That is a really really interesting question because of course when I went to music college I was surrounded by people that were used to being centre stage that were very happy to push you out of the way or do dastardly things in order to put you off what you're doing. I could tell you some quite incredible stories or even worse. So I realised that what I needed to have was a vision, a target, which was to be the best singer I could be. And if that involved me getting used to being centre stage and owning it, that was how I did it, by having that really clear target. Was that hard to begin with? Was it was that... very difficult. I was terribly apologetic. How did you get over that? Well, I always think about the music and always think about the audience and how I serve them. I'm not one of those people that comes in, I'm the great I am diva. And there are people that I worked with that were very much like that. It's me, 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 me. And I would be much quieter, but I had presence. I would do my job in a very professional way without elbowing other people out of the way. We're all different personalities, but you have to be aware of some other egos in the performance. <laughs> <laughs> so you said earlier in, in this interview that you were, you're an introvert. Yes. So how, again, how do you compete when you're up against real extroverts in, in that industry? It can be really challenging. I don't know if you've been in a room with real extroverts and they, they take the energy, don't they, from the room. All you can do is to have real presence because presence is not about being the loudest in the room. It's about having that energy and making an impact with what you say, even if you say three words and thinking about how you can have that presence when you perform. The difference is that probably they would all go out and party afterwards. I'd go back to my room exhausted to recharge. Obviously now you are a trainer, You it's all about communication. What are the parallels that exist between being an opera singer and a, a great communicator? <laughs> They're exactly the same. There's only one difference, that as an opera singer, you are burdened with the fact that there are going to be members of the audience that know the music that you're doing that will come up to you afterwards and say that air vowel in the second page of the aria you were singing was too wide in Tuscany it would be narrower or you made a mistake there or it's a shame you made a mistake or did you realize that you repeated that sentence whereas as a speaker or a communicator, whether you're in a meeting or a presentation, no one actually knows what you're going to say. And that is one less burden. 
It's actually quite liberating when you put it yeah. like that. <laughs> so, yeah. It's easy peasy. So how did you transition from the opera singing to, to being a, a, a kind of coach? One of the things about being an opera singer is that you are an athlete. People often don't think that. I'm certainly not looking at a lot of opera singers. They wouldn't think that they were in any way an athlete, but they are. It takes huge energy and you have to be physically and mentally in a good place. When I had my son, it was very difficult to combine those things. And being a freelancer, I didn't have a regular income coming in. I can have somebody to care for Nick part of the time. In the end, I decided that it didn't work for me. Quite often, parents make a decision to change what they're doing when they have children, whether it's women or men. That Quite often, men review their lives as well. But I kept meeting what I would call normal people rather than people from Planet Opera, which is a parallel universe, believe me. People would say to me, how is it that you can walk into a room and you look confident, even though, you know, inside you're not feeling confident? How is it that you can project your voice? How is it that you can project your confidence? All of those things. And I realised that possibly... This could be something that people would need. Now, initially, when Nick went to school, I used to go into schools and universities and county councils and train the teachers and lecturers to do that and thinking about vocal projection and their presence. But then in 2010, when there were big cuts, I realised that I needed to be more focused on businesses for any business, you know, new business and finding clients is, is a tough gig for everyone. So definitely, ha- what kind of, what were the, the methods that you used to, to get new business? Well, one of the things that I used was actually speaking. So believe it or not, I didn't do very <laughs> makes much. makes a lot of sense. It does make a lot of <laughs> sense. <laughs> but think 2020, that all disappeared. But that was one of the first things that I did. I had not done public speaking at school. I was quite a quiet girl. But also I had been told, you know, family ill thing was not to show off, not be loud, be quiet and all of those things. So I had to push through all of that as I had done with the opera singing. But I quickly grabbed some opportunities to speak. And that was very much of a referral lead generator how did you find those speaking opportunities? I asked. So I thought about business organisations that might like to have something. The FSB, for example, the Chamber of Commerce, those sorts of organisations. So quite often there are women in business groups, which is quite useful as well. And certainly in 2020, that was one of the things that I resurrected. I went through female business organisations in what I would call professional services and I contacted them when we went into lockdown and offered to do a free webinar and that generated new business. Really good. So getting yourself out there, I I know you do a lot on uh, LinkedIn. I see you do videos and and things like that. Has that been a good exercise for Absolutely. And these are things that I had never done before. So you had to pivot as a result of, of the pandemic? Absolutely. My business model was a typical speaker, 
trainer coach model where you would be in front of a room with everybody. It wasn't virtual. And some of your referrals would be via your presence at the front of the room. And do you think this, the, the, the new approach, is that something that you're going to carry on regardless of, of kind of if we all return to work and everything goes back to normal? I will tell you a secret. <laughs> In February, I wrote a new business plan. My mentor told me to write a new business plan and I have put Digital Central to it. Obviously doing face-to-face, but I now have overseas clients and realistically, delivering some content virtually is more cost effective to them, more time effective to me, and there are real opportunities there. So would you say that actually with the, the current situation, it's opened some more doors that you might not have explored had it not all happened? Definitely, with without a doubt. And also I'm working with an Italian tech company on developing a new learning platform experiential for public speaking. I would never have considered that a year ago. That sounds really interesting. Presumably you can't tell me too much more about that until it launches. But Yeah. (laughs) Sounds great. Sounds really good. Um, Susan, just kind of going back and and thinking back to the the start of your either your your coaching career or just your career in general what, what what's the one thing that you'd wish you'd known before you began your career that anything is possible that if you are fearless what's going to happen unfortunately i've been in a situation where i have looked death in the face you know i'm very lucky to be here and people often say it's it's silly to say, well, what's the worst thing that will happen? You won't die from that. But I can tell you <laughs> that it's actually quite a useful thing to think of. And what could be the worst thing that could happen? Yes, somebody will say no. Somebody will ignore your email or not phone you back. But at least you've tried. And certainly I've demonstrated that in the last year. And did that obviously life-changing event that that you had having recovered from that did you kind of change your your perception on things I think I did yes because it can be very easy to get upset by little things but actually there's a bigger picture and what's your advice to people for handling rejection because I suppose we all get rejection in our lives whether it's not receiving that call back or the email or the business that you wanted How, how do you teach resilience One of the things is that you can ask, but the other person has every right to say no. You shouldn't feel that it is your role to badger them so much that they will eventually say yes. The only thing that it will do is be more negative in the end. Move on. I have had a couple of occasions when people have rejected me in the most unacceptable way. On one occasion, this was somebody that wrote a two-page email telling me how bad I was as a trainer and all of this sort of stuff. It was horrifying. And I shook. I felt like hiding. And I phoned up a friend and she said, that says everything about them and nothing about you. Clearly, your presence triggered something in them and they're not very well. And how do you move 
past that susan are you are you someone who dwells on things or do you park it and move on or do you use it to fire you up or what's the i think i use it to fire myself up when you get any rejection it's worthwhile just taking a deep breath and perhaps emailing back or saying thank you very much i wish you well and then you can move on but yes in that instance i had that response which was really unacceptable it did say a lot about that person (laughs) to be honest but I then went and picked up the phone to other places it's funny isn't it the the things that shape you I remember one of my first jobs was uh, a sales role and I'd taken the decision to move on from that role I handed my notice in and I'd been there a while and, and made some some good friends and we had a an organised night out to kind of say sort of cheerio to everyone. I remember asking one of the very senior management at the time and said, oh, you know, we're going to a nice restaurant and then we're going out for some drinks after. And, and he said, well, you know, if that's your sales technique, I feel sorry for the people you're going to. Not only was that a very long time ago, that really stays with me still, but actually it really motivates me. And yes. when, you know, I, I do a lot of selling now and have won some pretty big deals and, and, and done okay, but I, that's really kind of driven me. But yeah, still still remember it to yeah, this day. Yeah, and we do remember how we feel in certain situations. And doesn't it reflect badly on that individual? It really does. Yeah. really does. Susan, running your, your own business, as, as you do, what, what are the things that kind of keep you up at night? really thinking about my forecasts and my targets certainly April was so quiet for me with invoicing and I was getting a bit worried and you think what's going wrong What, what am I doing wrong but we have to accept that there are troughs and waves and we've just got to keep focused does that make you redouble your efforts when yes when you see that What are the things that make you feel inspired? Do you know, I'm inspired by people every day. You know, when you read some good piece of news and you think, yes, how fantastic. Or somebody who has done really well despite some challenges in their lives. And just in terms of that inspiration, there's obviously been a number of people through your career that have inspired you. But who are the three most influential people that you've had during your career? The first one would definitely be my headmistress, Miss Miller. Bless her cotton socks, rest in peace. She believed in me. At 17, I was one of the girls that at school wasn't given a UCAS form. And I asked if I could apply and I was told, no, you're not bright enough. Why not try this? So I managed to get a copy anyway because my dad was a headmaster of another school. So I managed to get one that way, fills it in myself, banged on the door and asked Miss Miller if she would support my application. And when I saw the glint in her eye, I knew she was on board. And I feel that she really believed in me because I went out of my way. Within a couple of weeks, I was getting offers from Durham, Warwick, and obviously I went on to Durham University. There was a a bit of a mistake there. But also, I only discovered when she died that she actually was one of my sponsors for my scholarship to music college, and she'd kept that quiet. That's amazing. So, would you say that's a good lesson in persistence and not taking no for an answer sometimes? 
I knew that this is where I wanted to go and somebody didn't have a right to stop me trying. I mean, on paper, certainly, it didn't look as though I was going to get there. But I discovered later on that all of my grades were underestimated by two grades. There were some errors going on there. But I would also say that because I was quiet and maybe didn't sell myself very well, that I was being underestimated for that point. And that might be one of the reasons why the superstar communicator is living and breathing, because I know what it's like. Really interesting. And who who else? So another another couple of people who've inspired you during your career. Do you know, I'm really, really inspired by Michelle Obama. I've read her book. It's worthwhile reading. We see her as this beautiful, confident, eloquent woman who does amazing things. And yet, as a child, her family were discriminated against. She had to overcome a number of challenges to get where she was. And sheer hard work. And that is somebody that I would always recommend read her book. Does that touch on kind of imposter syndrome? So I talk a lot to some of my team about imposter syndrome and maybe, you know, not thinking they should be in a meeting that they're in or not feeling that they're they're kind of equipped to, to make a point. And I suppose probably Michelle Obama's case is the ultimate in imposter syndrome. So and I, I'm sure you come across that in your role as, as well, Susan. So how, how do you kind of coach people to get beyond that? Do you know, we all have imposter syndrome. I feel imposter syndrome here doing this podcast with you. (laughs) No, but it's true. We all have what I call it, little voice. Yes. That little voice is there to protect us against fear, isn't it? Against danger. But I try to think of that little voice as sometimes trying to protect us from what could be much bigger. So if you think about me banging on the door of Miss Miller's office asking her my little voice was going big time and I thought be quiet I want this so sometimes if you can think of that vision um, what happens neuroscientifically is that if you've got a really clear vision or target you can actually silence your little voice and your fear it goes back to your point around preparation yeah as being prepared that can be the one of the little steps can't it yeah one more Do you know, you might laugh at this, but I love Nigella. I admire her. She's very eloquent. Obviously, she's very intelligent. She went to Oxford, very well educated. She has been through some real challenges. Um, Having two very young children with your husband dying and her mother and her sister both dying died of cancer as well and she has carried on yes there were some blips along the way but how she conducted herself with that Italian widow look when she went to court was the ultimate in presence a very good communicator yeah very resilient very resilient I've seen her in one of those sort of live chat shows at a theatre I went with my friend Mary And she made us all feel that we were sitting on the sofa with her having a chat. And that is a real gift. Very good skill to have. Very good. Susan, we've already spoken about the 
the kind of incident that you had, which was was life changing. What other forks have there been in the road for your career? Well, one of them really was giving up singing. You know, everybody around me was horrified that I made that decision, but it was the right decision for me and the right decision for my family. Another one was actually deciding that I was going to drive again for because for many years I didn't drive just because of the trauma. And 11 years ago, I decided to relearn to drive. And that was a massive thing. But again, as I've mentioned before, when you have that very strong vision, that can be what propels you through the fear. And it has transformed my life. You strike me as someone who's very determined. And and once you kind of set your mind on something, you, you really go for yes, it. Yes. Yeah. It's a good skill. Yeah. Good skill to have. What does the future hold? Do you know, the future is golden, isn't it? The future is full of possibility. There are a number of things that I'm exploring at the moment with Superstar Communicator, really expanding what I do. Because in the last year, doing these virtual workshops, there are topics which are related to communication, but I would never have delivered them before. So I've got a massive roster of things that I'm able to help clients with. Also, I mentioned before about the VR learning project that I'm involved in. Your career's obviously taken some twists and, and yeah. turns. And do you, do you feel 100% happy now with, with kind of what you've landed on and just, you, you know, you're going to kind of continue that? Or do you think there'll be another shift at a certain point in time? I think there will be another shift. I don't feel that we should ever rest on our laurels because we don't know what's around the corner, as we know from 2020. Yes. And sometimes keeping yourself on your toes makes you very agile to move across and see what trends are, what's needed so that you can offer those things for clients. And what would be your advice to someone who's looking to to become a a business coach or or a trainer? I have always trained, even when I was an undergraduate, I would be coaching people in reading and various things. Try to get that experience of working with adults. Training with adults is not about lecturing. It's about using the existing experiences and expertise of the people around you to focus them on the problem that needs solving. Great advice. Susan, just lastly, where can our listeners connect with you? My website is superstarcommunicator.com and I also have my podcast, Superstar Communicator, which is on all of the platforms. Also, I'm on LinkedIn. Please send me a connection. Susan Heaton-Wright, there's only one. Susan, it's been a real pleasure having you on. Thank you so much. Thank you very much for having me. I hope you enjoyed the bonus episode. I'll be bringing you more inspirational stories soon. Until next time, I'm Brett Samuels. Thanks for listening. Mm-hmm.